0: Please be advised that today's episode will contain brief mentions of potential suicide or murder pertaining to the investigation, as well as some gore. Melissa Caddick was a seemingly normal woman with everything you could have wanted, a $6.2 million home in Sydney, Australia, a loving husband and son, and close family and friends. Her loved ones were so close to her, in fact, that they trusted her with their investments. That turned out to be a massive mistake. But before Caddick could even be brought to any sort of justice, she vanished. So where is Melissa Caddick? Did she swindle all her friends and family out of malice? Or is this just a massive misunderstanding? And could a single foot washed up on the beach lead to the answers we're looking for? Hello everyone, and welcome to Multi-Level Mondays. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're gonna be looking at the case of Melissa Caddick. Now, we've taken a look into different types of scams in the past and people who try to coax money out of others while doing as little work as possible to earn it. And today, we're going to look at Melissa Kadic, a representation of fraud far more dangerous than what's normally seen. It's important to examine the life of her as well as her financial conduct. Subtle habits and mannerisms leave clues to her predatory nature well before her notorious fraudulent actions. Kadic is a unique case among scammers. Her personal and financial dishonesty intertwine and run so deep that not even her loved ones knew who she truly was. Born April 21, 1971, Melissa Grimley, later to become Melissa Caddick, had an uneventful upbringing. A longtime friend described her wanting to be better than what she was, always trying to fit in with the popular group. While that is a common attribute for people navigating adolescence, her obsession with materialism and social status foreshadowed her demeanor and character. After primary and secondary school, she enrolled at Patrick's College Australia in Haymarket to study secretarial and business administration. Much of her mannerisms can be traced to some of the core principles of the college, like their motto, which translates to either the best or nothing. It's evident that she took it to heart. Caddick's first job was with the National Roads and Motorist Association Investment Division and Administration. Starting with her very first job, she became angry whenever someone called her a secretary and gave herself a more illustrious title. According to those who knew her, she lived a life with delusions of grandeur from a young age. Her past bosses described her as bubbly and efficient and dressed for the job she aspired to instead of the job she had. She learned early to mold herself into the image of an ideal professional receiving rave reviews from those who employed her. Even then, her outward appearance masked deep emotional scars. In her early 20s, Caddick herself was a victim of a scam, running off with a con man who stole from her parents and later maxed out her credit cards. It is suspected that Caddick suffered a mental breakdown and her personality warped due to the trauma of this incident. In 1998, Katik landed a job in running the Sydney office of a boutique investment house. This job marked the first recorded history of her financial misdeeds. Six months after her hire, she was confronted with evidence of her forging her boss's name on four checks worth nearly $2,000. It's here that we should note that white collar crimes, which include the likes of fraud, embezzlement, bribery, and other nonviolent gains get relatively low attention by the media. The exceptions to the rule are extreme cases with large victim counts and high financial casualties like the one we're covering here. The general public knows less about these sorts of offenses and the legal repercussions, and usually victims can't be identified solely by outward appearances. The only tangible exposure for many is romanticized by the media. Movies and television portray these actions as either exciting and lucrative like the Ocean series or as a form of vigilantism like the recent Leverage television series. It's located below the strip beneath 200 feet of solid earth it safeguards every dime that passes through each of the three casinos above it. We're gonna rob it. Smash and grab job, huh? Medgrave released information suggesting that white collar crimes are far more common than assumed. Offenders get substantially lower prison sentencing than violent offenders. Whether it's the lack of knowledge or debatable levels of leniency by companies, white collar criminals are more likely to be repeat offenders. The article also states that white collar crimes typically harm more people on average than violent crimes. Of course, when these financial crimes are the ones we saw, like with Park 432 Avenue, they may not gain a ton of attention because it can be hard to feel sympathetic for the victims who are already millionaires or billionaires. Caddick's next step in her rise to notoriety was Wise Financial Services, where she started as an office manager. In 2002, after she finished training in financial planning, she borrowed $750,000 to buy a 25% stake in the business. The following year, she was featured in the trade magazine, Independent Financial Advisor, Ironically, she warns readers against falling for pyramid schemes in the magazine saying, like any profession, financial planning has unscrupulous operators. She cautioned against pyramid schemes and said, no matter how great a deal might look, it was vital for potential investors to check that their financial advisor was accredited, qualified and ethical. The same year, Kadic fell short of her own criteria. She again revealed her jaded principles as she battled with Wise Financial for the right to independently recommend properties and shares to her clients. The company gave a firm no, and Kadic left the company in 2004 with her reimbursed investment money. In 2000, she married Tony Kadic, whom she encouraged to finish his law degree. Tony Caddock became a solicitor in 2006, and the couple welcomed their son into the world shortly after. They moved to England in 2010, but their happy England life fell apart 18 months later after Melissa Kadic was caught cheating with her hairdresser, 31-year-old Anthony Coletti. In 2012, Melissa moved back with her son to Australia where she lied about the circumstances behind the split, claiming Tony was abusive, controlling, adulterous, and dishonest. Considering her reputation, she easily turned her loved ones against her first husband. And later that year, she remarried to Coletti. Conversations with Caddick's friends suggest she was controlling of both husbands. Coletti was often regarded as the handbag or the boy toy. Her friends perceived Caddick as wearing the pants of the relationship, controlling their finances, as well as Coletti's career path. She convinced her husband to delay his dreams of becoming a DJ and quit his job, securing her stranglehold over his life. Being in constant control of finances is one of the determining factors in identifying financial abuse, which Coletti's testimony suggests he was a victim of. The return to Sydney marked the beginning of Caddick's core scheme. Much of Melissa Caddick's story seems typical of white-collar criminals, but it was her personal qualities that made her lies so difficult to sift through. She was a predator, much like most who commit frauds, but her influential nature went deeper than a person-to-person interaction. Caddick truly believed she was worthy and deserving of all her things, whether ethical or not. Examining her history and personality, it is honestly a challenge to identify when she was acting and when she was being genuine. It could be easier to detect had she befriended and swindled strangers, but her targets were the ones around her most, the ones you'd expect to see her true self. It is comparable to method actors becoming so involved with their characters that they literally forget who they are, like Heath Ledger's famous or infamous portrayal of the Joker in The Dark Knight. It is not a stretch to suggest, perhaps, that Kadok became so engrossed in her facade that she honestly believed she was a financial savant, Ahona Guna, a clinical and forensic psychologist practicing in Melbourne, Australia suggests, it is likely that a number of psychological factors such as distortions in her belief system and callous emotionality are likely to have allowed her to perpetrate fraud of this extent on close family and friends. If the fraudster believed all her stories, she could take these actions with total conviction. A person who would believe all their lies as truth is exponentially more dangerous than a mere liar. For as long as people knew her, Melissa Kadic meticulously maintained her public image, constantly adorning herself with expensive jewelry and clothing, luxury cars, and homes. She was always well-dressed with makeup and her trademark red Chanel lipstick. This translated to the care of her child, claiming her son was always perfect and she never struggled with his care. To explain the image, Kadic lied again. How was she worth that much? She had a story, and the story was that she worked for another company, that her and two other that people had- her and had two done. other people had built this program, and it was such an amazing program that one of the superannuation houses bought it out, but her share of that money was $86 million, and she was not allowed to work in the industry for 10 years, which she didn't. The truth was that she was worth about $600,000 and that is a lot of money, but that's a far cry from the amount she claimed. To her friends, she was kind, honest, and always willing to give. According to one of her friends, the only reason she came back into the industry was only with her friends because, "'I made a lot of money. "'I just want to help my friends out.' "'I'm just doing this out of the goodness of my heart,' was another one of her lines. "'I want to deal with who I want to deal with, "'mainly friends. "'I want to take care of them and give them a nice life.' Another friend recalled, her thing was, I like to help women to get them started. She was noted for sharing her fancy clothes and purses with friends, fostering personal relationships and friendships with her unsuspecting victims. She had intimate conversations and shared genuine information. Often, the ones who would coerce a target into giving them money do not go after the money initially. Building relationships, an image, and a version of reality go far in influencing how one would trust their money in the hands of another person. After the connection had been established and faith solidified, scammers go after their target's finances. Kadik played the role of dear friend for years and no one suspected her of what followed. Her close family and friends have been left questioning the person they spent time with through the years. The first victim of 2012 was her friend whose financial advisor license she operated under, despite that friend rejecting her request to use it. We've discussed the nature of Ponzi schemes and scams before and the nature of these financial transactions are important clues to who Melissa Caddick is and how she actually operated. Of course, using her friend's license number was pivotal to getting away with the fraud for so long. She already showed a tendency to forge signatures and take what wasn't hers. With a license to use, she opened up her own business, Molliver Financial Services. Leveraging the trust of people she'd known for years, Caddick started by creating an elaborate and detailed sales pitch. She was described by two distinctive traits, a desire to help women and the illusion of scarcity. She would often initially turn people away before later giving them a call for one time chances to get in. The potential client would have to hurry if they wanted to secure her services. The spine of her scheme revolved around superannuations and super funds. According to CanStar, a research agency and Australia's biggest financial comparison website, A superannuation or super is a compulsory system of placing a minimum percentage of your income into a fund to support your financial needs in retirement. Your super is invested in a range of assets to help grow your balance so you can have the best possible retirement outcome. These supers are divided into three relevant categories, retail supers, industry supers, and self-managed supers. Retail funds are managed by banks and contain advice and platform fees. They're typically high cost, but they're available to all investors. Industry funds are generally low cost and not for profit, meaning profits are put back into the fund for the benefit of members. Most offer accumulation and pension funds. The downside with industry funds is that it limits what sort of investment an investor can make. Investors who want more control or flexibility can run their own self-managed super fund or make it a family affair and involve their partner, adult children, or other members up to a maximum of six. All members must be trustees or directors if there is a corporate trustee and are responsible for all decisions made about investments and compliance with relevant laws. There is no minimum investment, but setup costs and annual running expenses can be high, especially if you use administration or other services. The financial advisor encouraged her clients or victims to abandon their retail or industry supers and replace them with self-managed supers. Then instead of the hassle of managing their future assets, they relied on her investment expertise. It was supposed to be the best of both worlds, having total control over their investments while allowing Melissa to handle the complicated financial hurdles. Since she managed her client's portfolios, she controlled the flow of information as well as any checks and balances that were in place. Maliver constantly replaced any client Caddick may have lost creating a continuous flow of money. While the clients had more financial freedom with their nest eggs, they bore all the risk of poor investments or in Caddick's case of unscrupulous activities. The pros and cons of these financial options can be debated, but it is imperative for people to put their money in a place where it is safe and trusted. The clients thought they did, but they were mistaken. Instead of keeping her word and placing her client's money in legitimate investments, Caddick put their money in Maldivar's bank account and created a fake Comsec account. Comsec is Australia's largest online stockbrokering firm and a subsidiary of the Commonwealth Bank. This false account had six digit ID numbers, whereas the real account had eight digits. She forged client signatures if needed, and whenever a justice of peace was needed to witness that other signatures were genuine, she forged the signature of her father-in-law, Roto Colletti. Her father-in-law didn't realize this until he sat down with us. Have you ever done any work for Melissa's business, Maliver? Absolutely not. Once again, that is. Not, if you see my signature, it's very distinctive, and that is not it. And Roto was a justice of peace himself. So if that helps kind of wind everything up to show you just how much control she had. The most dangerous part about this woman was her willingness to forge whatever signatures she needed whenever she wanted. She used ComSec's logo in order to create fake documents and show her clients fake returns with massive profits, encouraging them to invest with her more as well as praise her to others. From 2012 to 2020, Catech victimized many of the people closest to her. Her parents, her brother Adam, a group of Perth surgeons who knew Adam, close friends and other associates fell for her image and dishonesty. Of the thousands of documents poured over by financial investigators, not one of them were legitimate. This is the real kicker of the whole scandal. Where scammers and fraudsters typically do as little as possible, this one did the opposite. Creating thousands of documents in deep detail should be as much work as doing it legitimately. Why would Kadok bother going to such lengths to preserve her charade? I want to stress that the majority of corporate theft revolves around the idea that someone is taking shortcuts to get more money. Though doing all that work did make her operation all the more convincing, she used their supposed investments to finance her home and a litany of vacations over the 2010 decade. As we know, the funds were used for Caddick's own benefit instead of the benefit of her victims. She continued repeating this process ensnaring more and more family and friends. $23 million are still unaccounted for. Always savvy to avoid being discovered, Caddick often acted preemptively to avoid suspicion. Though like all Ponzi schemes, she couldn't keep up with the charade forever. In November, 2019, the Australia Securities and Investments Commission received an anonymous tip that Caddick was operating under someone else's Australian financial services license. In June of the following year, another complaint was filed and prompted the ASIC in action. On November 10, 2020, ASIC had her assets frozen and her passport seized. The following day, they joined the Australian Federal Police raiding her home and removing millions of dollars worth of jewelry, clothes, and handbags. The morning after, Kadok left her home, presumably going for her daily jog, and she never returned. But that's not where the story ends. Investigators exhausted resources searching for the Australian mother. With no leads and the growing revelation of her misdeeds, frustration mounted. The longer the investigation stretched, the more questions emerged, calling into question everything the public knew about her disappearance. Was Caddick the victim of an angry client? Did she commit suicide in fear of losing it all? Or did she pull an impossible vanishing act? We will try to get to the bottom of these questions right after this sponsored break. We're all looking for ways to reduce our environmental footprints. So it's extra disturbing to find out that we throw away about 5 billion plastic cleaning bottles every year, but we can stop throwing out so much plastic with Blueland's revolutionary refilling cleaning system. Blueland has a simple promise. You buy one bottle and refill it forever. So there's nothing left to discard. You simply fill one of their beautiful and color coordinated bottles with warm water and a soap or spray cleaner tablet. And in just a couple minutes, you've got powerful cleaning products. And they smell amazing too, with scents like lemon and lavender eucalyptus, they will make your house feel clean and smell good too. And they've got something for every cleaning need from hand soaps to toilet tablet cleaners, which those apparently sell out quite quickly. So I'm gonna have to start stockpiling a little bit faster. And of course, one of my favorite products from Blueland right now has got to be their washer tablets for when you're washing your clothes in the laundry because they are, one, they're scent-free and they're gentle enough that they don't actually irritate my skin but also clean my clothes, which is excellent. And right now you can get 20% off your first order when you go to blueland.com MLM. That's 20% off your first order of any Blueland products at blueland.com MLM, blueland.com MLM. This episode is also sponsored by America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh. HelloFresh sends farm fresh seasonal recipes with pre-portioned ingredients straight to your door. It lets you cut down time meal planning and prepping and searching around the grocery store. And it even cuts down on time in the kitchen with most meals taking about 30 minutes or less. So you get convenience, you get quality and you get deliciousness. Plus there's so much variety and the ability to customize your order. They now offer Hello Custom offerings that let you swap out a side, like adding a protein or upgrading to a more luxe version. And they've got something for everyone. Like they now have fit and wholesome recipes for delicious, nutritious meals with six recipes a week to choose from, including low calorie and carb conscious. So no matter what you are dieting or eating, they've got something for you. And my favorite thing is that I can control what I'm getting and when I'm getting it all through their app. It's easy to use, easy to set up and easy to work with. So make sure you go to hellofresh.com MLM16 and use code MLM16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's up to 16 free meals and three free gifts at hellofresh.com MLM16 with code MLM16. The reports around her disappearance seem pretty straightforward. On November 11, 2020, a day after her years-long Ponzi scheme primed to fall apart, Caddick was heard by her son leaving her Dover Heights mansion at 5.30 a.m. It was assumed she was going for her daily run, but she didn't take her keys or phone, and she never returned. At this point, the news of her misdeeds were still secret to everyone. A search began in earnest for a woman held in high regard by her community and those close to her. But what turned up was the truth behind, a fraudulent woman. Her friends and family were notified that her hard-earned investments were gone and likely to never be seen again. The questions of her whereabouts began with the circumstances behind her initial disappearance. Dover Heights is a high income area with many mansions and luxurious houses. A majority of those houses have security cameras creating a footage net that's nearly impossible to evade if you're not in a vehicle. Yet, none of these cameras captured Melissa Caddick on the day she disappeared. And to this day, the manner in which she actually left her home is still a mystery. Where did she go and how did no one see her? The answers eluded local and national authorities. The first point of interest in the case was her husband, Anthony Coletti. Questions rose about his intentions when it was revealed that he took more than 30 hours to notify the authorities of his wife's disappearance. At first, he stood in front of cameras pleading with Australia communities for help in finding Caddick. He never notified Caddick's victims that she was missing, nor the fact that the home was raided by corporate watchdog ASIC. As more evidence piled up against his wife, he rose to the top of a list of potential suspects. While he did cooperate with authorities, he was not forthcoming with information. Australia's self-incrimination laws are not absolute, but there is evidence that Coletti is within his rights to not incriminate himself. It's not exactly the same as the United States' Fifth Amendment, but it is comparable. For a long time, he avoided questions and media attention, Perhaps he was an accomplice to all of Caddick's financial activity. Perhaps he snapped at the sudden intrusion and revelation that his wife was not what she seemed. His father, Roto Coletti, did not believe his son had the mental or emotional capacity to actually harm his wife. He also didn't think Anthony could help her. He stated, Anthony is a hairdresser, a damn good one, but I don't believe he has the capacity to even know what a financial scheme is. I don't think he could have been a part of it all. Even if he did know what a financial scheme is, he'd likely just believe what he was told anyway. And that's a big ouch. He is convinced that she's innocent, that she's being set up. Typically in a missing person's investigation, those close to the person missing are proactive in the search. The fact that Coletti was not piqued the suspicions of the public and media. Further conversation with Roto suggests that Anthony is sadly, simply a man who is just deeply in love with his wife, so much so that he couldn't see the hunter behind her smile. Anthony himself suspected that she was murdered and contained his own list of suspects. After investigation, most concluded that her husband Coletti had no association with Cadix's crimes. As much a victim as the others, Coletti currently has no job and little money to his name. Court documents revealed a paltry $1.95 in his bank account. He's been allowed to stay in their home during the investigation, but it won't be long before the mansion is sold and he, along with Cadix's son, are forced to vacate. Speaking of the media and tabloids, they salivated at the drama unfolding in New South Wales. Theories and guesses flew all over about what happened to Caddick. Suicide didn't seem possible considering she wasn't seen at a nearby cliffside known for people jumping to their deaths, but it was still a possibility. In a 60 Minutes report, bodies almost always washed up in a day, but the weeks and months poured on and there was no sign of the businesswoman. Reports and assumptions flew around the media, garnering even more local attention than the coronavirus pandemic at the peak of its volatility. Groups and petitions rose in support of the seemingly innocent wife and mother. This coincided with her history being unveiled, mixing in levels of sympathy and slander. As often with cases like Caddix, the media painted her with intrigue. Everyone wanted to know who she was and where she put all that money. Fortunately, for all the people who trusted her over the years, not all the money is lost. Financial investigators located a fortune the businesswoman kept hidden. A large sum of money would be returned to her investors. Recently, the courts ruled for all of Kadok’s remaining belongings to be liquidated and the earnings to be given to the people she swindled. Not even the resolution has come without drama. There have been debates between the families and financial investigators of who owns specific properties. If Kadok purchased property for them with their money, did the property actually belong to them despite being in her name? That interesting argument has not run full course yet. Now, liquidators are prepared to sell two of her cars on February 21st, 2022, which is when this episode should come out, but I apologize, this past couple weeks have been just really rough for me, so I'm sorry that Multi-Level Mondays is not on Monday. But Coletti is scheduled to be placed on a restraining order before the 23rd to protect the liquidator, Isabella Allen. They've interpreted a number of social media posts, his music and a Channel 7 News appearance as acts of aggression towards Allen. Little information is provided as this is a recent update, but I would be surprised if like all of Caddick's life, not all is as it seems. While there is relief that some of the money will be recouped, the victims cite the years of lies being the most painful. In the 60 Minutes coverage, her former friends express anger and a desire to see her brought to justice. Some like Roto Coletti are overwhelmed by the experience to the point of being desensitized, no longer surprised by reports of the fraudster's actions. Reflecting back on their interactions as evidence mounts, former friends and associates described Ms. Kadic as narcissistic and evil, someone who operated without a conscience. Of course, that is a retrospective take. Her actions fall neatly under the clinical definition given to narcissists and include qualities like a grandiose feeling of self-importance, a need for excessive admiration, and exploiting other people for personal gain. It is equally possible for her to be a narcissist or stricken with an undiagnosed psychotic disorder, as I mentioned earlier. There is the possibility that instead of being a habitual liar and narcissist, that Melissa Caddick had severe psychosis over a number of years. If that were the case, this incident would go from being about a decades long predator to being the most expensive unraveling of mental health in history. This is a perspective that we will likely never get an answer to for the record, but we cannot look at this case without acknowledging the possibility. When 60 Minutes revealed that, though she never purchased property in Aspen, she put it in her will that her parents would get it if she dies. Investigators struggled through the extra attention, being forced to admit they had no leads as to where she was. Questioning her loved ones repeatedly, it seemed like they had no answers in spite of helping all they could. It was believed that Caddick fled, leaving behind her husband and son to enjoy her riches and anonymity. What's fascinating about the search for Caddick is that to this day, if she were found alive, she would not actually be brought to court or prosecuted for the Ponzi scheme, at least not immediately. She could literally walk into the doors of the courthouse and say, hi, I'm Melissa Caddick. I'm just letting you know that I'm still alive and walk away. If the evidence is already there, why wouldn't they at least apprehend her? It also calls into question her potential legal proceedings. If she wouldn't be convicted now, would she ever face justice? The entire search for Caddick was never once described as a warrant, merely a missing persons case. I hope that would change and some sort of accountability is placed though. Now, last year was a breakthrough. There was hope that the search had finally come to an end in February, 2021, when a shoe was found washed up on the beach. A decomposed foot inside that shoe matched Melissa Caddick's DNA. The circumstances behind finding her foot made for more questions than answers, being found 400 kilometers from her home. How did her foot end up at a beach so far away when she left the house on foot? Where exactly did she go that fateful day? If she is dead, where are the rest of her remains and why did it not show up with the foot? The beach at New South Wales washed up a number of human and animal remains around the same time they found her foot, but none of the other findings matched Melissa Caddick. Somewhere out there is the rest of Melissa Caddick, dead or alive. The police were satisfied enough with the findings to rule her dead though. Divers stopped searching for the remains. A resolution came and a small funeral was held for the assumed deceased. But the coroner has not yet made an official ruling and many believe that she could have cut her own foot off and left it to throw off those looking for her. We can conclude from taking a look at her mental disposition and financial history that both are kind of possible, but the reality is, is that no one knows for sure. Ultimately, Melissa Caddick's story is a lifelong tale of psychological manipulation for her friends and family members. She was narcissistic, delusional, and manipulative to everyone, most of the people she held closest. Her embodiment of a wealthy influencer was all that was ever seen, and she used that to take advantage of those around her. Caddick's case of fraud is unique, even among those who commit white collar crimes. Did she truly believe she was a financial mogul, just helping out her friends, or could she pull off the literal crime of a lifetime? The possibility that she lied to herself as much as everyone else made her all the more dangerous. And even in death, she continues to captivate the Australian community. It's possible that authorities are right that she threw herself off a cliff in distress of her world falling apart. But there remains the chance that Melissa Caddick escaped to some faraway place with one foot and her stolen millions, waiting to pounce on more unsuspecting victims. But you be the judge, because with all of that being said, that's where we're going to end today's episode of Multi-Level Mondays. I wanna thank you so much for being here for today's episode and taking some of your time to listen to the interesting tale of Melissa Caddick. If you learned something new from today's episode, please make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. Again, I appreciate you spending your time here with me today, whether it be through the podcast or through the YouTube channel, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.